You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. The backdrop of this passage is the story of Pentecost, where the arrival and filling of the Holy Spirit had been experienced powerfully by the gathered followers of Jesus. Unified in their collective ability to speak in languages that were not their own and being understood by pilgrims from all over the known world who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, there is much confusion as to what exactly is going on. Some even write off this miracle of the Spirit as being the result of drunkenness. The Apostle Peter, however, in the first recorded evangelistic sermon, offers a different explanation for what has just been witnessed. We came in at the tail end of Peter's message as he provided both the historical and the prophetical context for what is happening. This, Peter has declared, is the fulfillment of something God long promised, the gift, the pouring out of his spirit upon all people both the presence and the power of the Lord abiding in all God's children, men and women, young and old, the rise of a spirit-filled people who are transformed within with a new heaven-sent vision and with great divinely inspired dreams for changing the world by the grace of God. All of this having been inaugurated by God, first coming down to earth in the person of Christ. These, Peter declares, are the fruits of the life of God in Jesus given unto death on the cross, then resurrected in defiance and victory over the grave, and now exalted as Lord and Messiah over all creation. And in response to this good news, the gathered crowd is cut to the quick. Together, they only have one question in response. What shall we do? And 3,000 people follow the answer Peter gives to their question. 3,000 people repent of the direction of their former lives and being baptized begin to walk in the way of Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. And just like that, the body of Christ that began the day in its infancy, as a few people gathered in a room, has quite the growth spurt. As the body of Christ starts to fill out and become a full-fledged movement of people sharing life together. And then what comes next in our passage today is but a brief but telling snapshot of what this community born and grown by the Holy Spirit looked like. Again, it's a quick snapshot. This is not a complete picture. And therefore, for this reason, some who have read this description have read it as something more symbolic. They've seen it as an idealized portrait of communal life in Christ, but not necessarily a realistic one. There are those who insist what we see here is a vision of what one day will be. There are those who argue what we read about here is a way of living together that is just not practical. It's simply unworkable in any modern context. But let's be clear about something. Luke, the doctor, Luke, the investigative reporter, Luke, who authored one of the four gospels of Jesus Christ, Luke, who also wrote this book called Acts, is documenting and detailing in these pages 
the start of something historical, of a movement known as the church. Luke is not waxing philosophical here. Luke is not presenting a modest proposal for some imagined utopia. Luke is recording how it was, how it is, when the Holy Spirit is the basis and driver of our shared community in Christ. If we keep reading the book of Acts, we'll notice that Luke doesn't shy away from showing us that being the church isn't always easy and being the church isn't always pretty. What follows after this description are stories and accounts of persecution and communal discord within the community, acts of injustice, attempts to defraud, and even infighting also mark the first generation of followers of Jesus. And this is because the body of Christ is not yet fully grown and mature. She, we continue today to suffer and to perpetuate the pangs of our growth and the immaturity of our adolescence. I mean, anyone still who is looking for, anyone who claims to have found the perfect church is ignoring this truth, that the church still today in its membership of broken believers, sinners who are becoming saints and saints who are still being reformed from their sins, the church in its wrestling to be united, even as it continues, even as it needs to diversify, the church remains an ongoing work in progress. But that doesn't mean we can lose sight of or somehow comfortably dismiss what we are capable of together, of who we have been called to be as the body of Christ. We need to pay attention. We need to come back to what we witness here for the continual reorientation of not just our imagination and our hopes, but of how we engage and practice our life together in Jesus. We need to be reminded of the life-transforming, world-changing work that the Holy Spirit can do in and through us when we get out of our own way and just follow Christ. And so what do we see here? What do we see, church? For now, let's just make one observation. Remember, we're coming back to this passage again over the next few weeks. Here it is, imagine this. Imagine adding 3,000 new people into your family. Crazy, right? Think of the ensuing chaos. All those newly baptized people coming from different regions, speaking different dialects, what that would do. I mean, everyone here was Jewish, but let's remember Judaism had been scattered in its practice and even its language to varied and diverse communities within the Roman Empire. And besides not all speaking the same language, there would have been, naturally, distinct food and cultural preferences and different levels of economic security. As a result, there would have also been, as with any community, various long-standing prejudices to navigate different interpretations of the Torah, as well as different political positions in regard to Rome. There was all of this for the community to navigate together. And think about it, that was all for the community to navigate together. And that's even before the Holy Spirit started bringing Gentiles, non-Jews into the mix. That doesn't happen until chapter seven. And yet what we observe here is a fledgling community that rises above its inherent differences, that achieves a common unity in the midst of its great diversity, that learns to care, to protect, and to provide not only for its own, but for anyone who was in need. The gospel drew them outside their own culture to speak and eventually to do life together with people very different from themselves. And this multifaceted witness one not restricted to a single place or mode, but put on display both in the homes of individuals and in the public marketplace of the Jerusalem temple, this witness catches the attention and earns the admiration 
of a watching world. And that's because what we need to understand is this sketch of communal life actualized as a way of being, this picture of hospitality, charity, mutuality, equity, of humanity flourishing together is a world for which others, philosophers, poets, politicians in the ancient world had always longed for, but never realized. And is our world any different today? Do we across all our societies and all our cultures not crave the same vision of human existence as we lament the world on fire around us? As we are forced to confess the divisions between us that have not just gone away because we choose not to see them? As we are forced to confront how quickly, how easily a life can be taken rather than protected and cherished. As we find ourselves fighting for our very right to exist while still not being willing to acknowledge that the enemy we see is someone who is our brother or sister. The idea of the kind of community we see here in Acts 2, you know, it simultaneously attracts and at the same time it repels most of us, right? I mean, we long for the life-affirming and world-changing benefits that such spirit-driven community can bestow. But at the same time, if we're honest, we resist the demands that such spirit-filled community makes. And make no mistake, one of those demands is for justice, justice for all. What does it mean to be the church? Well, the first answer to that question is it means we must be a people committed to justice. We, as the church, do not exist for our own sake. We, as the community of faith, exist as the means by which Christ extends salvation to others, to all the world, and that salvation includes the embodiment of justice. We, as the church, the body of Christ, have been given life, not to endorse or to celebrate the powerful, but to care for the powerless, the vulnerable, the marginalized, the abused, the impoverished, and that's a justice matter. All of our victorious assertions of the gospel of resurrection are not easily squared, and they fall flat if we as the body of Christ remain silent before inequality and justice. The inequality and justice that characterize the human experience, particularly for people of color. Peter in this sermon on Pentecost quotes the prophet Joel. Joel who echoes the promise of God that the gift of the Holy Spirit of his redemptive presence within humanity would be universal. Men and women, for young and old, rich and poor, for Gentile or Jew, for Americans, Asians, Europeans, Africans, red, brown, yellow, black or white, they are all precious in his sight. Being the church, yielding to the ongoing work of the Spirit first in our lives before the Spirit can work, work through our lives is to recognize all the problems of this world are not just out there. They're in here. The problems we face out there are manifestations of a rebellion against God and his will for us in our hearts and minds. My friends, we cannot claim to love God and yet hate our brother or sister. Our hatred, our prejudice, our abuse of our brother or sister begins with our rejection of God. It begins with deciding to make ourselves God. And when I make myself God, when I make myself the center of the universe, then others have to serve me. But when God is the center of my universe, I am called to serve others. My friends, when I claim any righteousness of my own, any righteousness of my own, any good in my life is something I've earned, I deserve, or that belongs to me as my possession, then I am living life out of a sense of entitlement and privilege. 
rather than checking my privilege and sharing the grace I have been given. And here's the thing, just because I don't conspicuously or purposefully do this does not mean that I'm still not complicit in systems of inequality and injustice that I benefit from while others suffer. And I wanna to confess to you, I've been so preoccupied with all the assumptions and anger that I will stir in our community because of what I am about to share with you. But as a follower of Jesus, as a pastor of this community, as a fellow human being in this world, I can no longer remain a bystander. Whether I like it or not, whether I accept it or not, the Holy Spirit tells me that I am a part of what is happening in our society. The Holy Spirit is provoking me to look more carefully, to look more closely, and to look more deeply, to be willing to see beyond what I believe, what I think I know, understand, what I even fear, in order to have my perception and experience expanded, in order to gain a universal consciousness of and appreciation for all God's children. I have been convicted by the Word and the Spirit of God to recognize that I will never know what it is like to have black skin and live in America. The Spirit has opened my eyes to realize that my skin tone, being white, has privileged me to not have to think about, to not have to bear the fears and the burdens, to not have to endure the slights and the sufferings that my brothers and sisters of color have to deal with every day. And the Holy Spirit has broken my heart. The Holy Spirit has shattered any sense of complacency with being okay with that life-crushing burden placed upon friends, neighbors, family members, students, other human beings who have had to face oppression and injustice that I'll never have to face. And so through the Spirit, I am committed through abiding in Christ to listening more attentively to the stories of people of color truly listening and not preparing my rebuttal even as they are speaking. Filled by the Spirit, I am determined to speak up and to stand up rather than to be a passive observer. Whenever their humanity, whenever their very life is being taken from them, piece by piece, by cruelty, by ignorance, by systemic racism, I have been called and by the grace of God, I will follow Jesus in putting the interests of others before my own, of serving the needs of my brothers and sisters to be heard, to be protected, to equally and lovingly be represented. And I am merely one person, but I am part of a body, a body that the Spirit gave life to a long time ago. I am part of a body that has continued to grow despite itself. I am part of a body that can become healthier and more impactful, a body that can do this if all of its members come together rather than remain divided. As the Apostle Paul once wrote, if all the members of the body of Christ had equal concern for each other, if as our brothers and sisters of color suffer, all of us suffer with them, if Honoring all persons of color is something we all seek and rejoice in together. We could be a force to be reckoned with. My friends, we cannot be colorblind because God created all the colors that we see. However, through the work of the Spirit, we can and we must respect, we must affirm, we must protect all the colors that God has given to us, recognizing that they are together reflections of the fullness of the Lord's image in whom we have all been created. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be good news for everyone or else it is good news for no one. 
What we are facing right now, beloved, shouldn't be a political issue. I'm sorry, it shouldn't, because this is a spiritual struggle. Racism and injustice, poverty and inequality, these are not political issues. These are demonic spiritual forces. They are principalities and powers that have plagued humanity since the dawn of time and keep us when we succumb to them from practicing resurrection together. My friends, it is only by following Christ, not in part, not with part of our lives, but with the whole of our lives. And it is only in following Christ, and that includes acting justly, living out of faith that insists upon making sure everyone has what they need. It is only by following Jesus, the same Jesus who brought life out of death. It's only by following Jesus that these spiritual powers of oppression and alienation will be exercised and lose their power. This is both our privilege and our responsibility as witnesses for Christ. It is our privilege and responsibility to look, to see, to acknowledge, and to commit to change the places in our lives and in our community which perpetuate inequities and injustices. That needs to be the focus of our energy, living out the gospel. As the Apostle Paul said in another one of his writings, as he explicitly declares to us, part of the work that Christ has done through the cross and resurrection is to bring down the dividing wall of hostility between us. Therefore, let us commit not to rebuilding that wall, either through our silence or our inaction. Instead, let us be the church. Let us work together as the body of Christ to build bridges instead of walls, to foster conversations where we listen first before we speak, where we advocate the construction of systems and laws that protect and advance the dignity and flourishing of all persons, not just in theory, but in actual practice. My friends, following Jesus isn't easy. Sticking together as the body of Christ is hard. <laughs> Remember, what we see here in Acts 2 is but a snapshot of what could be. Through the word and by the spirit, the early church had to learn to love one another. With the love of Christ, they had to learn to love each other week by week, day by day, just like us. That's why Paul had to write so many letters to the early churches, because again and again and again, he had to remind them of the truth at the very heart of the gospel, that all have been made one in Christ Jesus. And when they forgot, and they often did, just like we do, the Spirit had to remind them, yes, you are. So let's stop being a dispersed collection of individual churchgoers and become the movement of people, the body of Christ we were meant to be. Through the power and guidance of the Spirit, let us show the world that Christianity is true, that Jesus is risen, risen indeed. Let us show the world this by demonstrating what community would look like if the gospel were true. And acts of justice are part of that. Acts of justice are the spiritual practice of a gospel people. Through the prophet Amos, God has declared, let justice roll on like rivers and righteousness like a mighty stream. Our God has told us time and time again, are we listening, church? The practice of justice is one of the foundational rivers out of which the Holy Spirit pours out in our lives and our world and makes all things new. When we make a commitment to stand up and speak out, when we stop by the side of the road, protecting, defending, and caring for the person others have abused and left for dead, the person that everyone else just walks by, we are walking the way of Jesus. And that means we are practicing justice. That means we are being the church. Let's be.
the church. Amen.